doubt that. Where shall we go? Oh, well, let's just get our breath back first before you start tearing off anyway. Anyway, as you know, the TARDIS has a mind of its own. You know you can't control it. Can't control it? No. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Here we go again. I wonder where it'll be this time. Yes, I wonder. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a Doctor Who podcast where a Doctor Who beginner and a Doctor Who veteran go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. You said, said Doctor, Doctor Who, Who four times. <laughs> I said that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, but that is what our podcast is I mean, about. you're not technically wrong, no. And today we're going to be watching... Oh, yeah. And today we're going to be watching The Web of Fear. Yes. Uh, the Web of Fear was written by Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln, uh, directed by Douglas Camfield, and produced by Peter Bryant, because last episode was Einz Lloyd's last story. And man, what a fucking note to go out on, right? We just got done yeah, recording it, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, ah, I'm still shaking off man. Enemy of the World. <laughs> what a fucking banger to go out on, man. And Web of Fear also aired February 3rd, 1968 to March 9th, 1968. Are you as worried that we just flowers for Algernon ourselves as I am? Um. A little. <laughs> A little. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried that we're not going to quite get that high again. Yeah. It's... This is going to be such a fucking, such a fucking crash. <laughs> <laughs> so I double checked something because I was, I was curious. I have this episode on dvd and um episode three was not available it was it just had the telesnaps just had like the pictures and so but then i know that a special edition of web of fear came out on dvd later so i was like okay well maybe they like animated episode three or maybe episode three was discovered and i just didn't know about it i'm not sure but i just checked britbox before we started recording earlier and nope Episode 3 on BritBox has the telesnaps. So it's basically like oh. we're going to be listening to episode 3 only. Which is fucking bizarre. Again, I, it's it's Power of the Daleks all over again. If they're willing to put it on BritBox in that state, why don't they do it for more episodes? Yeah, what the fuck? I don't understand. There There is a character who is introduced, but like he's not that important that they would feel necessary of like, oh, we need Web of Fear in this episode, I don't know. We need Web of Fear on BritBox, otherwise people will get confused. I, I, I don't get it. But, Caleb, on that note, given everything you know about Doctor Who, and given the title of this episode, The Web of Fear, and given how episode, last episode ended, what do you think this episode's going to be about? This is the Web Planet 2.0. Uh, they're going to meet the Animus's big brother. I, I'm trying to think of a funny name, but I can't. Animus 2.0. <laughs> Since the door is open to the TARDIS, that's going to make things all wiggity-wiggity-wack, yo. <laughs> and they're going to end up in some kind of web, believe it or not. That's kind of like a doorway between time and space. 
where they can go here and end up somewhere and go there and end up somewhere. They're, they're in between time and space. Mm-hmm. That is my prediction. And they're going to meet Annie Moves 2.0. Okay. And the Zarbi are making the comeback. <laughs> and what are the fucking B things called? The Monoptra. The Monoptra. The Monoptra are pivotal. They're absolutely essential to this episode. I don't fucking know why I still have that memorized. I don't know why I know that they're <laughs> called the Monoptera. I hate that I know that they're called the Monoptera. I want them to leave my memory palace. The way you feel about that is probably how I feel about the Romans, because of any episode of Doctor Who, basically every frame of the Romans is seared <laughs> in my brain. Yeah, it's kind of how Web Planet is with me. <laughs> that is an interesting theory, and I think it has some weight. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say whether you're right or wrong, but I will say that what you just predicted actually fairly accurate oh. for an episode that will be coming up. <laughs> <laughs> it is correct eventually. It's like if you ha- if you're taking a math test and the answer to question number three is sixty one, but you wrote sixty one on question number eight, like. It is a correct answer. It's just not attached to the right question. <laughs> okay, so from here on in the podcast, we're just skipping the part of predict because every every prediction will be wet plant 2.0 until I <laughs> get it right. <laughs> I guess on that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. <laughs> And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was four days for us. Go us. God, like the the turnaround on these is just wild. So we've proven that we can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how long can we keep it up? (laughs) We uh, finished uh, watching Web of Fear and much to uh, Caleb's, much to Caleb's relief. There were no spiders involved. No spiders. Were you expecting the great intelligence in the Yeti, though? No, not particularly. Even th- even though it shows us, spoiler, it shows us the Yeti in like the first like five minutes of the episode. I had not seen it. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at that big furry thing. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that thing's stupid looking. Oh, is this what they were dealing with? <laughs> yeah, on that note, though, because I forgot to mention this last time. This episode, while well, written by Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln, they're the same ones who wrote Abominable Snowman. Ah. Uh, so they have one idea. <laughs> yeah, they have one idea. It's it's the Cyberman guy all over again. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. One uh, post-view note, though. Uh, this is the very first appearance of Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart. He'll be getting a promotion soon, but for right now he is uh, Colonel Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. He'll be coming back soon. Wait, really? Yep. He's the recurring character that I mentioned. Uh, I thought for sure it was going to be Travers, since he was actually a recurring character in this episode. No, no, no. I said that this episode introduces a recurring character. Oh, fuck. <laughs> is this the guy that um, Moffa is obsessed with? Yes. Okay. I don't know why. Granted, he is, like, a very important character later on, but I also don't know why Moffat is so obsessed with him. Now, all the soldiers started to blur together. Was he the guy with the mustache? Yes, he was the guy with the mustache. He was the one who came in and took charge. Okay, that's right, because in Twice Upon a Time, like, there's the soldier with the mustache, and that was, like, his, like, grandpa or something, I'm assuming? I think it was his father. Oh, yeah, this, I forgot, this is the 60s, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the son of whoever the fuck Lethbridge Stewart that they helped out in Twice Upon a Time. 
Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. Okay. Cool. <laughs> it's the most. It's the fanciest British name you can come up with. Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Dash Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> it is very British, particularly the name Alistair. Yeah, no kidding. Or as you would probably pronounce it if you had just seen it, Alistair. Alistair. Hey, isn't the isn't that how you say it in Dragon Age? No, it's Alistair. Oh. <laughs> well, good thing I didn't read that guy's name. <laughs> don't, don't challenge me on Dragon Age stuff, Caleb. Mac, I'm obviously more versed in Dragon Age than you. Oh, obviously, of course, of course. <laughs> of course. This is a Dragon Age podcast, and I'm the host. Caleb, don't you tempt me. <laughs> don't tempt me, Frodo. I can do a Dragon Age podcast. You know I can. <laughs> okay, but now I kind of want to do a podcast where I'm the host, but I'm not the expert on it. And I just say things that are flagrantly wrong. <laughs> And your co-host is just like, no, 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 that's not how that's done. And I was like, well, this is my podcast. I'm the host. <laughs> what I say goes. Before we dive in, Caleb, general thoughts. What'd you think of the Web of Fear? Meh, it was all right. Um, everything I liked about the last episode, Enemy of the World, the name escaped me for a second. Uh, everything I liked about Enemy of the World wasn't in this episode. And everything yeah. I said I liked about the enemy of the world, because it didn't do this, was in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I think I, we were done recording enemy of the world, and you were wonder, you were asking me how this episode compares. And I'm like, you don't, don't do that to yourself, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, it's middling. Like, it's not terrible, but it's not yeah. particularly good either. It's, it's middling, and it's, it's fine. But because of just... The quality of the levels that we've been dealing with with the second Doctor, it is technically in my bottom five right now. But that has less to say about it and more about how good other episodes have been <laughs> that yeah. Web of Fear was just kind of pushed down. But I will say this, it was better than The Abominable Snowman. It was better than The Abominable Snowman. And I, again, I really like the premise of The Great Intelligence. And this episode kind of did something that we wanted to happen in The Abominable Snowman. Mm-hmm. Not to, like, a great degree, but it did do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But hey, enough vague terms. Yes, enough with the vagaries. Let's get to it. The Web of Fear, Episode 1. Jamie manages to shut the door to the TARDIS before anyone falls out. However, the travelers aren't out of danger yet because the TARDIS appears to be suspended in space. Cut to a man browsing a home filled with weird artifacts. He's standing in front of a large, furry monster thing. The man's daughter, Anne, comes to speak to him, and we learn that it is Travers from a few episodes ago. He claims that he has reactivated one of the control spheres, and that he needs to get this yeti back. Back on the TARDIS, the Travelers appear to be suspended in space by a strange web that covers the car tar the TARDIS. We see a conversation between a few soldiers, notably Captain Knight and, hack reporter and a hack reporter named Chorley. They appear to be working with Travers on something. The Doctor devises a way to break the TARDIS free, and they find themselves in the tunnels of a subway filled with soldiers. The soldiers are laying an explosive line, and they capture Jamie and Victoria when they spot them. The Doctor follows the cables, finding a large number of explosives on one of the platforms. There, he is ambushed by the Yetis, who spray the bombs with a weird gun. The soldiers, after a bit of arguing, set off the bomb with the Doctor still on the platform. I didn't r bother writing down, like, all all the names because uh, all most of them are going to become irrelevant in about two episodes most of the soldiers are completely <laughs> yeah they're they're basically irrelevant they're they're bodies for the for the yeti to kill 
I think the thing that, like, really, like, I wouldn't mind so many, like, extra soldiers if there weren't, like, entire scenes dedicated to, like, them talking. Yeah. Like, there's two soldiers who are just having a conversation, and then they die in, like, the next episode. I'm like, it's so hard to tell who's important and who isn't. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely a problem. This episode wouldn't need to be six... I, I We say this every fucking time. This episode wouldn't need to be six episodes long if you just trimmed the fat a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, there's the character, Chorley. He's like a he's like a sensationalist journalist. He's the red herring, yeah. Yeah, but even so, there's a, it comes in later where someone is working with the great intelligence and they have to figure out who it is. There's a, there's a lot of characters who you think may or may not be working with the great intelligence. And I think, for the most part, it's fine. But one of the suspicious people is Chorley, this journalist. But yeah. frankly, if he was just written out of the episode, nothing would have changed. Nothing would have changed. It's true. There were already enough characters to be suspicious of, and like he does nothing. <laughs> yeah, he he was probably the biggest red herring out of all of them. I was predicting. I I've been I've been listening to a lot of Agatha Christie novels, so I've been like, hmm, which one is is the traitor? And I was trying to narrow it down. And my top two suspects were both of the Travers. I thought yeah. it was I, I thought it was either going to be Professor Travers or his daughter Anne. I thought it was Anne. Yeah, the, I, Anne was my number one suspect because I think Anne was actively working. I thought Anne was actively working with the intelligence, and the professor was uh, unwillingly and unknowingly working with the intelligence because, like, why else would he be tinkering with the control orb to like get it working again? I thought like he couldn't sleep at night because he was bombarded with these visions, and so he just like. He tried to fix the orb so that the intelligence could gain another foothold on the world. Like, that's what I thought was happening. But no. But no. But no. And the... Well, I, we'll save that for later. I was going to talk about, like, why the twist doesn't really work for me. Yeah, the twist the twist of who the traitor is does not work. Yeah. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we will we'll get to that later. <laughs> but let's talk about this episode right now. <laughs> yes. I, I adore, at the very beginning... The physical acting that they're having to do, implying, like, the TARDIS is, like, moving and on its side and the doors are open. Like, they yeah. clearly just have the camera at an angle, but <laughs> the actors are having to go, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I loved it. It's, del it's delightfully hammy. <laughs> I had actually watched a couple of episodes from this story when I first got the DVD. Um, I'm pretty sure this was, like before we even started the podcast. So I had watched like the first two and a half episodes. Now, having watched it after having listened to the Abominable Snowman, I'm like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Now I get it. Because <laughs> I was like, who the fuck's these Travis? Who's the fuck this Travis guy? No, really. Why are they Yeti intimidating? Like I had so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Granted, the question, no, really, why are the Yeti intimidating, is never answered, but still. Not once. Also, the Yetis look like owls. Yeah, they went through a redesign. They went from they went from furry grimace to furry owl men, and I'm not sure why. I couldn't find anything in trivia that says why they went through a design change. Well, I imagine the grimace ones were stupid, so they were like, "Let's make it better," and they ended up making what I would describe as like a like a knockoff Batman villain. Kind of, yeah. 
It looks like something Batman would fight. He's like a bruiser from the Court of Owls. Exactly. Did you ever see a picture of the original Yeti? Um, I did way back when I wrote the little description thing. Okay, I was just making sure. Because um, if I remember correctly, they didn't have any like clear face. Like, no, they didn't something. have any face at all. Because I, I was watching this and Brittany was in the room and she was watching part of it with me. And I was, and she was like, wow, that's the monster. And I was like, if you can believe it, this is actually more intimidating than what it was before. She was like, how? And then I took, found a picture of the original Yeti. And I sent it to her and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, good luck with your little podcast thing. <laughs> and then she spit in my face. It was really rude. <laughs> and also kind of kinky. And I'm like, I liked it, but still it came out of nowhere. <laughs> You can tell we have a lot to say about this episode by how little we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And my my next note is, why did Travers try to recreate the sphere if he knew how dangerous it was? The GI's influence, perhaps? But that was just me giving the episode too much credit because yeah. he just did it because he was bored one weekend, I guess. And he just, I don't know, really wanted to do it. Yeah. And then we come back to the TARDIS and uh, Victoria has a new outfit and I kind of love it. But there were multiple times when Brittany was watching this with me and she's like, what the fuck is she wearing? No, seriously, what the fuck is she wearing? No, I thought it was great. I like the costume. I like the outfit. I think it looks cool. And uh, and she's finally embraced skirts. But it, it's yes. like, I don't even know how to describe it because I'm terrible at describing clothes. But it is a dress. It almost looks like it has Native American influences. Am I Am I making that up? No, I don't think so because like it's like it's that late sixties, like going into the seventies aesthetic. Which yeah. Kind of had like the tassels and yeah, vaguely Native American inspiration. There's this weird glossy bra thing on the front of it. Yeah. And it's got like it's got like beads and it looks like it's that um like that soft leather kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a hippie outfit. So. Yeah, it definitely looks very hippie-ish. I feel like if we saw it in color, it would be very colorful. Be very colorful, but with like a brown tan base. Again, can you tell we don't have a lot to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, because one of my only notes is I like the outfit. <laughs> I do also appreciate the fact that Jamie and Victoria are able to help with piloting the TARDIS and navigation, because like they're both at the consoles like reading off readings that the machine's giving off while the doctor is like fiddling with stuff and i kind of i i appreciate that they've been trusted enough that they're helping with piloting yeah unlike barb and ian fuck those two Nah, they didn't never they never got to deserve it although if i remember correctly in the rescue i'm pretty sure the doctor started teaching barbara like some rudimentary controls because he like was about to tell susan to go do something but she left last episode and barbara was like hey how about you show me yeah, Mac, that was like 30 episodes ago. Yeah, well... I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> unlike you, I actually pay attention to what we're watching, so... <laughs> hey, I pay attention. I just... I have a lot of things in my brain. I gotta dump... I gotta eject some stuff. <laughs> but they manage to escape from, from the web in space, and they land in the underground, the London underground, and <laughs> this exchange happens, and I love it. It's a conversation between Victoria and the Doctor. She says, where are we? And Doctor says, not sure. Shall we have a look around? And she says, is it safe? And Doctor says, oh, I shouldn't think so for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, we're in mortal danger. Let's go check it out. And then the Doctor requests that Jamie get some torches. And just from what time period Jamie's from, I was hoping for just a moment where he got some literal torches. <laughs> that would have been hilarious and absolutely something Jamie would do. 
He just rips a piece of wood out of the wall. <laughs> and then the doctor has a lamp shading moment where uh, they're walking through the, they're walking through the tunnels. They've just figured out that they're in the the, the subways underneath uh, uh, London. And the doctor just has a throwaway line where he says, "Strange how we keep landing on your Earth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weird. That's <laughs> so bizarre. Granted, uh, of the last four episodes, I think only one of them was on a different planet, right? Yeah. So they're walking around the tunnels, and then they hide because they see some soldiers laying some cable. And yeah, wow. It's so thrilling. So interesting. I I do want to say that one thing in this episode's favor is I do really like how they kind of managed to keep the mystery of what happened Mm -hmm. alive, where like we haven't like seen the yetis or the fog or the fungus or anything like that. But um, they are currently walking through the subway and there's no one around. And in fact, they go up to one of the gates that's locked and they find a dead body that's covered in webs. Oh, yeah. And there's like a newspaper that says like Londoners flee or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I like that they keep the mystery of like what is actually happening. I mean, it doesn't last for very long, obviously, but I like that they kept it going. It felt like the... Uh, First episode of Walking Dead. If you didn't know you're watching The Walking Dead and he woke up from his coma and there was suddenly no one around. That kind of thing. Yeah. Also, The Great Intelligence has a weird collection of aesthetics. It's He's just like this all-powerful, all-knowing cosmic force that resides in the space between space. And he has yetis who are wielding pistols that shoot webs. And also, he can make fog and fungus. Fungus lo- that looks oddly like bubble bath. Yeah, it looks a lot like a bunch of bubbles, but uh, <laughs> but trust us, it's fungus, I promise. It's just it's just a weird collection of things. It's a very strange. Pick a fucking look, great intelligence. It's, t- it's too supreme for that. It doesn't need to do that. It can do whatever it wants, Mac. I guess. And then the episode lands us on a air quote cliffhanger because the bomb goes off except that we can like see that it didn't so like mm-hmm. we know the doctor's not in danger mm-hmm. yeah it's a bizarre episode and uh, again it's fine it's not the worst thing i've ever seen in doctor who but it's also not super thrilling <laughs> yeah uh there was a lot of talking between soldiers in this episode yeah i guess they're just trying to drive home how helpless it feels and they're just kind of standing around doing nothing because they're like well we're basically just killing time until eventually the yetis can find us but that doesn't stop the scenes from just being like a bunch of people with very thick northern accents bitching about their about their bosses back and forth and i'm like okay thrilling can we move on yeah and it gets so much more exciting in the next episode <laughs> yeah episode two not a whole lot happens in this episode it essentially boils down to everyone waiting around for the doctor to show up. The soldiers investigate the bomb site when the, when the explosion isn't recorded. Jimmy and Victoria grow suspicious that the great intelligence is involved, and that's confirmed when they learn Travers is working with the soldiers. Chorley gets mad that no one is talking to him, and the soldiers learn that the Yetis are disarming their bombs with the weird web guns. Everyone also learns of the web gradually filling the tunnels. Jimmy slips off to find the doctor, and finds a deserter named Evans. Both are barricaded in by the web on both sides. That's it. That's really all that happens in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, basically. See, it's not just audio-only episodes that we get bored and want to move through quickly. 
there's visual episodes that suck too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are visual episodes that suck too. I'm just arguing that the audio episodes were maybe like selectively destroyed. <laughs> Probably. They're like, oh no, that room that had the abominable snowman on it, it caught on fire. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh man, what are the chances? Should we call the fire department? And they're like, well, there's no rush. We can have tea first. Yeah, but like, give it a minute. They're probably busy. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's really cool that they are meeting someone years later after they've had an adventure with them. I think that is yeah. that is neat. They're meeting an older Travers. I do like that concept a lot. And Travers and Anne are probably like my favorite parts of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. I might need to rewatch this because... Just the entire time I was giving a side eye to Anne because there were so many because I just the entire time I was just like, OK, when's it going to happen? When's going to reveal that Anne's the bad guy? And then it never happens. I was like, OK, well, now, now I need to rewatch it so that I can have less of a suspicious eye on Anne the entire <laughs> time. But I mean, like she is suspicious because like she kind of tells Travers to like disregard like his concerns. Yeah, uh, she's like the Yetis aren't a big deal. They're like what whatever you're thinking is happening isn't happening. And then she starts encouraging him to like keep working on the sphere and keep doing yeah. this and keep doing that. And th- there's there's clearly someone who is in on the inside and knows everything that's going on. And Anne has been the doctor's lab assistant the entire time, so mm-hmm. like she knows everything he's up to. And then later on, this is like episode five or six, where um, he passes. He passes the uh, Yeti control unit to Jamie and uh, and Anne like suspiciously asks the doctor, OK, where where's the where's the control unit? And he's like, oh, I don't have it. And then she wonders where Jamie is. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, it makes you feel like the doctor is suspicious of her, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another point where they mention a tra- they mention a traitor and like the doctor has like a side eye to Anne and then goes back to the conversation. And it just there's so many moments where. I feel like the twist was going to be that Anne was the traitor and that the doctor knew she was the traitor the whole time, but just kept his mouth shut. And that would have been cooler than what we actually got. (laughs) Yeah, much cooler. Much cooler than what we actually got. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you this trivia now, though, because um, Deborah Watling ruined more than a couple of takes because she couldn't help but laugh. When she kept seeing, because her dad plays Travers, remember? Oh, yeah. She couldn't help but laugh every time she saw him in the old man makeup. <laughs> so, is this the same actor who played Travers in the last episode? Yes, he it is. In? Same actor. <laughs> I thought it was just an older guy. Nope, and same like, actor. Oh, this is Travers. They just put him in old man makeup and like a fake beard and stuff. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then I'm, I make the note that I think the Yeti are up there with the Chumblies from Galaxy 4 in terms of least intimidating monsters, because I just want to hug them. I just want to <laughs> hug a Yeti. That's all I want to do. I'm not scared of it at all. <laughs> They're just so cute. They're so cute and fluffy, and I want one. Yes. Even even their cute little owl claws. <laughs> Maybe I'm not remembering the Abominable Snowmen correctly, but Travers seems to know a lot more about the Doctor and his crew than he should yeah, he he like knows where Victoria and Jamie are from, and he knows that they travel through space and time. But I don't remember them ever telling him that. I because I don't think they did. Because Travers doesn't even see the TARDIS. He's like leading them back to it, and then he's like, "Oh my god, a real Yeti!" And then turns around and they're gone. Yeah. So no, I don't think they ever told him. So. Yeah, but 
Trevor seems to know all about them. And I'm like, were their scenes cut? Are we implying that they had time to just kind of sit around and give their backstories before they left? Or I don't know. I don't know either. It very much implies that he knows everything about them. And yeah, every note I had about this episode, I basically put into my description. I have no notes on this other than I really like the character Evans at first. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about Evans later on. But uh, I, I will say that with each passing episode, I like Victoria more and more uh, because the doctor is out in the tunnels. They have no idea where he is. And then Jamie goes with a couple of soldiers to go and try and find the doctor and leaving Victoria by herself. But the doctor and Jamie have been gone for so long. Victoria then goes out into the tunnels completely by herself. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, she's got balls because I don't think I would have done that. (laughs) (laughs) I know I wouldn't have. Uh, So, yeah, no, I agree. I I like Victoria more and more. She still kind of has like the helpless damsel thing going on. But also she's a teenager. So (laughs) she sometimes does. But I think she more than any other companion we've had so far. I think while sometimes she is helpless, she also feels more. How do I put this? active in her helplessness like she's still accomplishing stuff while being captured by people and Mm -hmm. she's she's not like going to start kung fu fighting anytime soon but she uses her brains a lot which i appreciate yeah no she's got gusto and i do like that and like i feel like i feel like the helplessness is a slightly more justified just in the sense of like what's she gonna do fucking fight these owl monsters yeah exactly we were we were making jokes about like the tassels and stuff that she had on her outfit, but she even uses that to her advantage later because she's being like led down the tunnels by the yeti and she just kind of like rips a tassel off of her dress and like drops it as like breadcrumbs <laughs> so that people could follow her. Mm-hmm. No, she's got she's got ingenuity. So yeah, I like Victoria. I make the note that there's a lot of people in this base right now because yeah. because Jamie gets back with his group and there's. Captain Knight, there's Chorley, there's Staff Arnold, there's Evans, there's Nameless Soldiers 1, 2, and 3, there's Anne, there's Professor Travers. There's a lot of fucking people. There's a lot of people, and honestly, they're very often crammed into this command room, and I'm like, god damn, when are the Yeti gonna start picking you people off? Because this is getting ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not like, in, and this is the problem, I think, a lot of times, like, there's so many characters on one side, because there were a lot of characters in the enemy of the world, too, but they had, like, opposing interests and, like, other mm-hmm. things they were trying to accomplish, yeah. and it made them a lot more distinct. Yeah. Whereas this one, like, all the human people are on the same side and trying to do the same thing, and none of them have anything interesting going on. Yeah. And then my very last note is, um, I want to throw a foam party in that fungus. <laughs> yeah. It, it just straight up looks like an overdone bubble bath. Yeah. Going back to the character Evans, I like him initially because I'm like, okay, Evan, Evans is again me personified because <laughs> they talk about this like convoy that was attacked off screen and Evans is a survivor of it, but he's not trying to get back to base. He's just trying to run away like a coward. I'm like, yeah. Makes sense. I would also run away like a coward, but it turns into that being his only bit and it gets really fucking annoying. <laughs> See, it's funny you say that because multiple times throughout my notes, I'm like, oh, hey, look, it's Caleb. Anytime Evans is Evansing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, again, I really do enjoy it up to a certain point. And then like, Evans, come on. (laughs) 
Which makes sense. It makes sense that the character I most like also like mildly annoys me. <laughs> Anytime Kai and I watch anything and she's like, oh, I hate this character. I was like, Kylie, that character is exactly like you. <laughs> That's how it always is. Kylie always hates the characters she's exactly like in a TV show. And it's funny. We were just watching Owl House. And um, have you watched Owl House? Yeah, I've watched a few episodes with Rylan. Okay. Rylan's my son. I found myself relating to the character of Hootie. And mm-hmm. um, before I had a chance to say that out loud, <laughs> Brittany was just like, oh, God, I hate Hootie. He's so annoying. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty consistent for me, too. Like, anytime I'm a character or, like, there's a character who's like me, I'm like, God, they're so fucking annoying. I'm like, I'm like that, aren't I? <laughs> Kyla's example is Elliot from Scrubs. For you or her? Her. Okay. Kylie cannot fucking stand Elliot and Scrubs. And I was like, Kylie, that's how you are. That that would be you as a doctor. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I'm JD. I'm still JD. Well, see, it's funny you say that because JD is the one character in the show that I don't like. <laughs> JD is yeah. easily my least favorite character in the show. So I will admit that there are some moments where you and JD are very lined up, but also at the same time. You're not as awful of a person as JD is. Okay, fair enough. Notice the qualifier there. He was like, you're not an awful person like JD. You're just not as awful as JD. (laughs) Also, this is a Scrubs podcast now. (laughs) Okay, now can we go into episode three? (laughs) Yes, Doctor Who. (laughs) Um, Man, if you thought episode two was exciting, wait until you get to the episode that doesn't fucking exist anymore. (laughs) No kidding. All right, episode three. Jamie and Evans escape through an archway, and Victoria finds the doctor. Once they are back at base, the doctor meets Travers, who explains that this issue is his fault. Once he reactivated the sphere, the great intelligence connection to Earth was reestablished. Chordley is a weasel and wants to get away, even though it's clear that everyone is trapped in the tunnel. Someone in the group is working with the Yetis to sabotage the situation. Jamie and Evans make their way back to base, and Travers is attacked by a Yeti. And that's it. Again, that's... That's functionally all that happens in this episode. There's a lot of talking between all that, but this is what happens. I do also appreciate that you went through this entire episode without ever once mentioning Colonel Ethbert Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is the episode where he gets introduced. Oh, well, fuck that guy. I did not mention him. I don't mention him in any of the descriptions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, because uh, when the doctor meets up, meets back up with the group, he's with the colonel because, like, the colonel found him wandering around. Back, uh, I was about to say backstage, uh, off screen. <laughs> I was just like, man, he's shady as fuck. And if I didn't know any better, I'd say he was the villain. <laughs> he just shows up, wants to know everybody's business, um, and assumes command. And to his credit, when they keep bringing up the fact that there's a traitor in their midst, and like the doctor like looks at the colonel, colonel's like, you think it's me, don't you? And he's like, well, you are one of the possibilities. And he's like, yes, I understand. I am shady as fuck, it's true. (laughs) I do have a mustache. Part of it's hard to be engaged in this episode because it's, this episode doesn't exist, it's like the telesnaps, as they're called. Yeah. Of the episode with the dialogue of the episode, which is somehow worse than the audio dramas. 100%, yeah. Because we don't have a narrator telling us what's going on, we just have a picture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no kidding. There was an episode, I'm looking at my DVDs, I'm trying to remember... There was an episode that had the telesnaps where I was like, let's listen to that episode, like that individual episode specifically. I don't know. But there was there was one where it was like, OK, we're going to switch over to audio just for this one episode and then we'll switch back to video just because I wanted the narration. 
because <laughs> I didn't want to have to deal with the telesnaps. Yeah, the telesnaps made it hard. But it's okay, because nothing really happens in this episode anyway. Yeah, it's true. My next note is, I wonder what Caleb will say about Evans being willing to just jump ship. Oh, I, again, uh, it's really until episode six where I'm like, Evans, come on. <laughs> uh, I love Evans because he's always trying to get out of responsibility. Yeah, he's always trying to get out of responsibility. Um, he is trying to avoid the monsters at all costs and is willing to switch groups as many times as he needs if it means that he doesn't have to deal with the yetis <laughs> uh perfect perfect character until the end it's not this episode i think it's the next episode where he's like well like yeah i could go with you guys but like doesn't it make more tactical sense for me to stay here and be on guard yeah he keeps coming up with legit <laughs> reasons why he should be a lazy piece of shit <laughs> see you say that Anne and professor travers are the best of this episode i think evans is great <laughs> Uh, I, I do. I really do think Evans is great until the end, because, I don't know, I like to think that, like, when push came to shove and, like, it was really ride or die time, I would do something. But maybe I wouldn't, so. And he also has a he also has a very thick Welsh accent, but it's not so Welsh that I can't understand what he's saying. I can't understand what he's saying. Um, and he's also one of my favorite types of characters who's, like, dumb, but he knows he's dumb, and he's not going to pretend otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, he's the Gomer pile of this episode. <laughs> so much so, I didn't even realize he was Welsh. I just thought that was how dumb British people spoke. <laughs> I don't know if it the actor actually did this or not. I don't know if it's like an actual thing that the actor does or if this is something that he put on Evans. But like, his jaw is always askew. Like he always talks like with his with his jaw off to one side, and he and it's. I don't know, something I noticed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, because I, I was always thinking, I was like, what's wrong with his face? Yeah. I bet this story is so easy to follow if you're actually from London and you know what all the fucking street names are and what all the neighborhoods are. Oh my God, there's so much talking about the fucking like platforms. Yeah, they, they keep talking about the different neighborhoods and which streets lead to what street and... We'll, we'll go down this way and so that we'll cut them off be able to cut them off here and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about but i'm sure that if i was from london i'd be like oh yeah yeah no i, I passed by there the other day yeah totally yeah like and this is also how i feel like watching fucking anything about new york mm -hmm. where they're like oh yeah it's just off of 131st street and it's like you take that down to theater avenue and i was like i don't fucking know what any of this is get to the point <laughs> I was like, yes, people are in New live in New York and they're fucking smug about it and they love the city. Can we get the plot going, please? <laughs> I took the kids to go see Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile, and this happens a lot in that movie. <laughs> this is when I start really being like, yeah, Trevor's is definitely being controlled by the GI. He's not. He's not. Not in this episode. Not in this episode. They're all very specifically not telling Chorley what their plans are. And then I have a damn it Victoria moment because she t she inadvertently tells Everybody told Victoria the plan, but they didn't tell Victoria that they weren't supposed to tell Chorley the plan. So Victoria ends up telling Chorley the plan and also tells him about the TARDIS for some reason. Yeah. And I'm like, why, Victoria, why are you telling the shiftiest guy in the room about the TARDIS? Why? Why does it? Why is this? A, why is this a good idea? In your I know. Eyes? I thought the two like when she started opening her mouth, I was like, Victoria, honey, stop, please. And then someone gets killed. I think it was. God, he had to have been made fun of so much in the army. I'm pretty sure it was Private Weems. Oh, yeah. Weems. <laughs> uh, but he dies, and my only note about his passing is, oh, thank God we have one less cast member. <laughs> 
stay excited for the next episode mm-hmm. when we lose about 75% of the cast. Well, if you thought that episode was exciting, get ready for episode four. The Yetis attack Travers and Anne. The doctor stumbles in, but only Anne is on the ground. Travers has been taken. She shows the doctor a device she made that controls the sphere, but it isn't working yet. Most of this episode is just an extended action sequence between the Yetis, and it doesn't go very well for the soldiers, and most of them are killed. The doctor is presented a model Yeti, which is used as a tracking device. That's when two more Yetis break down the door. But I had a whopping four sentences about this episode. One of them being, most of this episode is an extended action sequence against the Yetis. Yeah, yeah. My, my note on this episode and that sequence is, man, this is the most boring action movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I kind of checked out during during that action scene because I was like, all right. It's on, well, like, it cuts back and forth between like the soldiers shooting the Yetis and like the doctor talking about stuff. But like the shooting sequences are so long. Shooting sequences are so long and like it goes back and forth between the soldiers shooting the Yetis and then the Yetis just kind of like lumbering towards them. And I'm like, oh no, the really, really, really slow moving Yeti are starting to get, are starting to gain on us. How will we get away? I would feel more threatened by the iceberg moving an inch, an hour in the Ice Warriors than I would by these Yetis. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's not in this episode. It's not like episode two they mentioned. It's like, oh yeah, to kill a Yeti, you gotta shoot it right between the eyes or use a grenade on it. And no one fucking does that. Yeah. Not once. I do really like how... Their their options are, are dwindling, and the colonel, and I think it's Captain Knight. I think Captain Knight's still alive. I can't remember. The, the doctor mentions the TARDIS, and the colonel is like, tell me more. Tell me more about this TARDIS. And uh, he's like, you're not going to believe me. And the colonel's like, okay, tell me anyway. And so he tells him about the TARDIS and how it's a, it's a ship that can get him anywhere and how it's in the shape of a police box. And... Captain Knight is like, oh, complete rubbish. And the colonel is like, do you think you could get to it? <laughs> and then the captain is just like, what? What the? F- you can't be believing this. He's like, I have literally no other options. I'll believe in the fairy tale if it means I can get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Which I kind of, I kind of liked that mentality. Yes. <laughs> there is one really cool scene with Staff Arnold and uh, Evans and Soldier Number Three where they're trying to get through the fungus and they like put on they put on gas masks and uh and this suit and they are like attaching themselves to this trolley and that's that's tied by a cord and so soldier number 3 and staff arnold go into the fungus to try and get through but then they like die almost instantly and evans like pulls back and there's just a dead body on the trolley and I thought that was a really cool scene of just like kind of the horrificness of him pulling it back and it's just death on it. I was like, ah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I guess that was cool. Because like they've talked multiple times at this point, like if you go into the mist or the fungus or whatever, like you don't come out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that I really, really, really disliked about that action scene is that how come the Yeti get the super cool Cybermen theme? They were using the exact same musical theme as the Cybermen. That really cool, bow, 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 bum, ba, dum, bum. And I'm like, this isn't deserved. They don't deserve this music. <laughs> Take it back. That's why Mac was like, are the Cybermen going to show up? <laughs> I was like, I hope so. They're way cooler than the Yeti. Yeah, that's true. The Cybermen are cooler. Captain Knight and the Doctor go up to the surface to try and get to an electronics store because the Doctor needed some pieces of equipment. And I swear... 
the electronic store set is the exact same one that they used for the antique shop in Evil of the Daleks. Like I'm, I'm willing to bet it's the exact same set. <laughs> it might be. Honestly, I wasn't paying attention that much. Like once the action sequence started, I kind of like tuned out. And then the colonel gets back to base, and he's the only one who survived the fight. And uh, he's clearly just like shaken, and he's like his entire his entire squad died horribly in front of him. And he's just like, dead, they're all dead. We couldn't do anything to stop them. And I was just like, aw, it's all right, Colonel. I'm pretty sure none of your soldiers even had names. You'll be fine. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) And that's it. That's all I got. that's it. I have no notes, really, on this episode. It was just a bunch of shooting and, like, nothing happens until the end. But the next two episodes are where literally the whole plot of the fucking episode happens. Yeah. This story is very (laughs) back-heavy. Yeah, very back-heavy. Episode 5. Two yetis break in, and Travers walks in under the control of the Great Intelligence. He gives the Doctor 20 minutes to give himself up, after which the Great Intelligence will absorb all his knowledge. He threatens to harm more people if the Doctor doesn't comply. The Doctor and Anne hastily work on a plan, and eventually learn how to control the sphere with voice commands. Jamie and Evan sneak away to find a way out, but everything is blocked by the web. A soldier named Arnold has survived, and making his way back toward the Doctor to inform him of Victoria and Travers' location. However, the Doctor and Anne are gone, and and they have seized control of a Yeti. They tell it to continue obeying orders until the time is right. However, the web has busted through the walls of the base and is pouring in. I think the opening moments of this episode are great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really good. I think Jack Jack Watling does a very good job of playing a possessed Travers. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, like, very rarely ever blinks... He hardly ever like really looks at the people that he's talking to. Um, he is he is doing a good job of portraying just being a mouthpiece for the great intelligence. Yeah, because he also has this kind of like high pitched, like raspy voice as he's doing it. Yeah, it does raise the question though: Did the great intelligence design the Yetis? That's how it sounds. Okay, then if he designed the Yetis, why didn't he put like a speaker box in them? <laughs> so that he could talk through the yetis because controlling people is cooler man granted that is true that is way cooler i won't deny that but also it doesn't make sense because like later in this episode and in the next episode the great intelligence exclusively speaks through speakers yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> so like it, it can build and install speakers to speak through it just, it just doesn't it just chooses not to because it's not as intimidating and then i do love how it's like you have 20 minutes to make up your mind i then pause the episode and i if you press select on the ps3 controller it brings up some information and so i checked and there was exactly 20 minutes left in the episode (laughs) yep no i did i did that too i was like you have until the end of the episode to decide And while they're they're trying to figure out what they're doing and the doctor is twiddling with some stuff, uh, Evans has a moment where he's like, permission to speak freely, sir. And the colonel's like, go ahead. And Evans is like, I think we should give up the doctor. If the if the intelligence is going to leave, is going to leave us all alone, if we give up this one dude, I think we should do it. Evans with the flawless logic. And I was like, Evans isn't wrong, but also shut up, Evans. <laughs> but i love i love how he's not like he's going to start some mob mentality shit he's just like i think this is the best option all right i said my piece i'm gonna go over here now (laughs) (laughs) i think this is the best option i mean it doesn't matter what we do i'm gonna leave regardless (laughs) 
I also really admire the fact that the doctor is, he, he has a plan. He's going to use this control box to try and control the Yeti, but there is the distinct possibility that he will not be able to get it done in the 20 minute time frame that he has. So he is 100% willing and able to um, give himself up. So he's like twiddling with the, with the box and he's like, if I don't get this done, that means I'm going to be taken by the great intelligence and I'm depend. and he's talking to Jamie here. It's like, I'm depending on you and Victoria because once I give myself up, I'm going to have the brain of a child once again, and then the great intelligence will leave, and I'm depending on you both to take care of me. <laughs> and it's just like he has backup plans in case he doesn't he doesn't win, and I I kind I kind of really liked that scene. I feel like the doctor has had some like selfless moments in the past couple episodes because like multiple times in the past few stories he's been like willing to die to make the thing happen. Yeah, uh, like blowing up the ship in the ice warriors and he wants to do something in the enemy of the world that would get him killed i guess the mind blowing up but yeah yeah i i also make the note that i kind of love how much the colonel thinks so little of evans <laughs> just like repeatedly he's just like hmm interesting good point evans shut the fuck up yep <laughs> and then they're like oh evans has ran off again hmm that sounds like him <laughs> yeah they're like evans has run off again and the colonel's like that does not impact my plan whatsoever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Everyone knows how Evans is. This is the episode where I was the most suspicious of Anne. Yeah, same. Like 100%. I, I like how they, they make the remote control for the sphere and <laughs> like presses the up button to make it go forward. And it's just like, it's so fucking slow. <laughs> the sphere moves, it moves like an inch a minute and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then they give it voice commands and the doctor has to like literally be like six fucking inches away from it to give it the command yeah <laughs> evans says my favorite line it implies so much about evans it kind of wraps him up in just a nice tiny little bow and just how self-aware he is because they ask evans to go do something i don't remember i think it was like he he needs to make a distraction for the yetis and he says and i quote i may be stupid but i'm not daft yeah i thought that was a great line too and then my sub note is i have officially decided that i like evans (laughs) evans is a weasel and we'll try to get out of everything but at least he knows that he is that yeah his self-awareness does him credit (laughs) (laughs) the only other note i really have is there's a point where like Anne and the doctor get away because they want to get a yeti to control And they end up like sopping it with the little controller thing. And then the doctor really aggressively removes this orb from its chest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It made me kind of uncomfortable. I just read my first note for next episode. <laughs> it made me laugh. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm ready whenever you are. All right. Episode six. God, we have so much to say about these episodes. <laughs> Everyone flees the base and is subsequently captured by Yetis. After creating a distraction, Arnold is able to get away and devise a plan to free them. Travers, now free of the great intelligence in Victoria, are led into a new room with a glass pyramid. This is the device that will steal the Doctor's mind. Chorley is reunited with the team and captured. The Doctor tells Jamie about the Yeti and tells him to hold off on using it until the time is right. The Doctor is then forced to put on a silly hat and is taken away. Jamie escapes and successfully tracks down their Yeti. After being reunited with everyone, the great intelligence reveals itself. It was Arnold all along. The Doctor is put into the pyramid, and the Great Intelligence is smug knowing it has won. Jamie commands the Yeti to attack, despite the Doctor's pleas otherwise. 
The Yeti beats all the other Yetis and holds Arnold while Jamie destroys the machine, which burns Arnold to a crisp. The Doctor is mad because he rewired the machine that, so that he would absorb the Great Intelligence instead of the other way around. When Chorley talks about the Doctor being a celebrity, he and his companions quickly escape. And boom, that's the spark note. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm trying to remember, people move around so fucking much in this episode, it's kind of difficult to keep track of where people are and why and who they're with. But there is a one point where they're going to, uh, I think, yes, okay, so... Victoria, Professor Travers, the Doctor, and Anne have all been taken captive, and Jamie is trying to get Evans to go and launch a rescue mission, and Evans says another fucking zinger, because he says, four people's getting the chop, there's no reason to make it six, is there? (laughs) (laughs) Evans, incredible. (laughs) I love Evans. And I had another, like, light bulb moment of, like, oh, this is what I would have done if I was writing this episode. Because how great, Caleb, would it have been if this was Jamie or Victoria's last episode? Because they were the ones being controlled by the intelligence the entire time. And they had been infected since the Abominable Snowman. How cool would that have been? It doesn't happen. (laughs) But how cool would that have been? (laughs) How cool would it have been? Yeah, no. I'm honestly, I'm still waiting for Jamie to be on the chopping block. He was only, there's only like one episode between him and Polly and Ben being companions. Yeah. So I'm like, man, Jamie's been here an awful fucking long time. (laughs) I know, the tension is building. (laughs) I think it would have been great if Evans like haphazardly became the hero of the episode. Right. (laughs) It's like accidentally. He tries to desert at one point and then just gets captured by the Yetis and brought back. But man, like, wouldn't it have been great? There's a, uh, I'm gonna talk about Warhammer for a second. (laughs) There's a series of books that follow a character named Kyphus Kane. He's a commissar, which is basically like a general. Um, but he's a raging coward. <laughs> but every time he tries to like devise a plan to get away from the front lines and get away from danger, he ends up like stumbling onto the main villains. <laughs> that's who I would have wanted. It's funny. There's a there's a similar character in One Piece named Buggy the Clown, where like he is growing. He just keeps growing in notoriety, and he becomes like this legendary pirate. When, honestly, he's incredibly weak. He's just always at the right place at the right time. And, like, news reporters assume that he had a bigger role in the stuff that was going on than he actually did. So he just, like, he becomes, like, this warlord of the sea when really he was just, he was just there. He didn't actually contribute anything. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the arc I would have liked for Evans. Where, um, because there's one point where he's trying to desert Arnold is, like, you're not trying to desert, are you? And I'm like, Evans, just shoot him. You can get away. Just shoot him. But if he had done that, he also would have stopped the Great Intelligence. <laughs> that would have been... Uh, yeah. And then I just imagine him coming, he's like, you stopped the Great Intelligence. You're getting a promotion. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, I do make the note here that this is where I note where it's like, it's weird how the Great Intelligence can't speak through the Yeti. But then I said, thank God for small mercies, because at least in this episode... The Great Intelligence isn't speaking a word a minute like he did last time. Yeah, it's true. He is speaking faster. I was very grateful. I kind of like the idea of a Yeti just carrying a boombox around. (laughs) And then hitting play when the Great Intelligence wants to dunk. Also hilarious to me because the Doctor is held captive. And there's there's like four Yeti guards watching them. And I, I can't remember if it was Amy or... I can't remember if it was Jamie or Anne who asks him this. But actually, I'm pretty sure it's Jamie. He says, okay, which one's yours? Which one's the one that you have control over? And the doctor's like, I have no idea. <laughs> I lost track. 
<laughs> he was like, I, I don't know. They all look the same to me. I guess just ask it. Okay, let's talk about Arnold. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make because, any sense. Because they they make the point. They, they, they point out during the <gasps> Arnold, Arnold is the traitor scene that the great intelligence is just controlling his dead body. Arnold is dead. Mm-hmm. The great great intelligence just piloting him after he went into the fungus. It was very easy for GI to get a hold of him. And so when it was revealed that the, uh, Arnold was his puppet, I was like, okay, who else is the traitor? And mm-hmm. no one else gets revealed as a traitor. I'm like, but so is the twist that there wasn't a traitor? Because there clearly had to be. Because the Yetis and the intelligence had inside information. Mm-hmm. They had to have known something. Yep. Uh, exactly. Like, and there had to have been something else. Arnold was fighting against the great intelligence half the fucking episode. Yeah, and he didn't die until like episode what three or four, when yeah. when he went into the fungus. So like, it reminds me of Bob's Burgers. It was like, it's a twist. It's not a twist. You just lied to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was frustrating because someone had to have been helping the great intelligence just do anything to get on Earth. Period, and it wasn't Arnold. Well, I mean, they got onto the onto Earth when Travers activated the control orb. Right, but that's what I'm saying. It's like there had to have been more beyond that, though. Like the Yetis weren't gonna fucking do anything. Yeah, I just I feel like there had to have been more, and then there just wasn't. Yeah, it's just oh, it's Arno because that's the person we weren't setting up at all. Yeah, it was it was just it was just a very disappointing end to this to what they were setting up as like. A whodunit mystery. Mm-hmm. The twist is that nobody did it. Because, like, they do a good job. Like, Evans is suspicious because, like, he always wants to leave and get away. Mm-hmm. Chordley is suspicious because he's been gone half the fucking episode but somehow survived. Colonel is suspicious because he gets everyone killed and he just mysteriously mm-hmm. appears out of nowhere. Anne is suspicious because she knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> Travers is suspicious because he has been in contact with the Great Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Anyone could have worked and so they chose no one. And it was, it sucked. Yep. That was bad. I do also like how the Great Intelligence has zero negotiation skills because like the Yeti have a hold of Jamie and GI is like, if you don't cooperate, I'll kill Jamie. And the doctor is, is like, if you don't release Jamie, I won't cooperate. And the Great Intelligence is like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. (laughs) What if I just kill Jamie a little bit? And then Jamie goes... Now! And he uh, he, <laughs> he commands his Yeti to use Body Slam. And um, I was like, wow, that one Yeti really kicked the ass of all of the other Yetis, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. I was like, man, like they picked the strongest Yeti. <laughs> the swollest. And then the doctor, this is very important. The doctor is like begging Jamie not to do it. Mm-hmm. And just to leave it to him. Because the doctor was going to... The doctor somehow rewired the pyramid where he was going to absorb the great intelligence instead. He Yeah, because when the Yeti come to, like, grab him, he, like, tells him to stop using using the device. Or, like, he gets them to stop using the device. Um, and then he, like, takes the helmet they were going to put on him and he, like, crossed some wires and changed oh, things. Oh, he did the helmet. And then, put the, and then put the helmet back on. Oh, he did it to the helmet. I thought he, I thought he did it to the pyramid. I was like, when the fuck would he have done that? No, he did it to the helmet. I see, I see. By the way, he was going to absorb the great intelligence... Which seemed way less like a, this is how I'm going to be a thing and more of a selfish, I want to know everything in the universe. Yeah, that's how I read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's not mad that Jamie saved him or Jamie like foiled his plan of like getting rid of the Great Intelligence once and for all. But he stopped the Doctor's chance 
to know everything. Jamie did stop the Doctor from stopping the Great Intelligence once for all, because now the Great Intelligence is still out there. It just no longer has a foothold on Earth. No, he certainly did it. I'm just saying it's a convenient excuse, because the Doctor didn't really care about stopping the Great Intelligence. He cared about absorbing its knowledge. 100%. I'm curious what would happen if the Doctor did manage to absorb the Great Intelligence. I can't feel like anything good. Would nothing happen. good. I like. Would it have been like a uh, Eddie Brock and Venom thing, or a Jekyll and Hyde type thing, where like both of them are wrestling over control of the body, or is would the Great Intelligence just take over the Doctor, or how how does this work? I'm I'm confused. Nothing of what I'm theorizing is good. I'm trying to imagine like an episode, like a few episodes later where the doctor's like, now how are we going to get through this? And there's a voice in his mind going, you should take a bubble bath. <laughs> and he's like, enough, stop. You should spray it with a web. Uh, listen. You should create an army of furry monsters. That's your solution to everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but what if we controlled them with big silver orbs? Also, you should build a pyramid. Why? I like pyramids. <laughs> They're cool. <laughs> and then he realizes the great intelligence is not all that intelligent. It's got three ideas. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's all I have on that episode specifically. Yeah, that's all I have, too. Uh, trivia. So Patrick Troughton was on holiday during episode two. Not sure if you got that one because he was barely in episode two. Uh, let's see. Yes, Travers, once again, played by Jack Watling. Uh, oh, this one's fun. Uh, the studio sets were so realistic that the BBC got complaints from the London transportation because they thought that they had filmed on location without permission. Oh, that's so funny because I thought for sure it was on location. <laughs> it was not, but London transportation thought it was, and then they watched the episode. It's like, hey, they were down in the tunnels when they didn't ask to be. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a lot of different sources, like behind-the-scenes stuff and some other magazine articles and stuff, all put what year this episode takes place in. It's like in wildly different years. <laughs> it happens anywhere between 1966 to 1975, but nobody can seem to agree on when it happens. <laughs> I don't think there's any mention of when it happens, other than it's some couple decades after yeah travers mentions that it's been about 40 years since the last time he saw the doctor but yeah hmm. uh ralph watson who played captain knight kept one of the yeti costumes <laughs> he just lifted it i presume for sex reasons <laughs> i mean why else would you <laughs> why else would you need it and that's about it for trivia final thoughts meh meh i mean like if you can't tell there's just not really much to say it's not terrible but it's not overly memorable either yeah it's it's definitely okay it doesn't it does have some bright spots like i do really like evans i think lethbridge stewart has some cool moments the fact that the mystery just kind of falls flat just it just deflates mm -hmm. and yeah it just definitely feels like it just goes back and like people are just moving around a lot the Yeti will never be intimidating to me no matter how hard they try yeah i will say it was better than the last great intelligence episode but that's not really difficult yeah that's not really saying anything at all considering it was again a, not a horrible episode but still one of the worst of the second doctors yeah while we were talking i was debating on whether i should like move it up one uh because right now i have ice warriors just above web of fear but i think i'm gonna keep it where it is no ice warriors is better yeah because i uh as shitty as our podcast episode was ice warriors had just like the coolest fucking villain 
and mm-hmm. the coolest fucking villain uh, beats out the coolest fucking side character that goes to Evans. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you guys really missed Mac waxing poetic about the villain from the <laughs> the Ice Warriors. Yeah, I tr- I tried to include it as much as I could in in my recap, but. Uh, yeah, nah, it's 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 a shame. <laughs> the episode The Ice Warriors is missing right along with the episode The Ice Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a Doctor Who podcast if we didn't have at least one episode that wasn't missing. Yeah, see? Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is give it five stars and tell your friends about it. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. You can follow Mac and I there, too. You can follow Mac at MacTheMeh and me at CLB underscore Clark. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, also called Mac the Meh, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we watch an animated version of one of Patrick Troughton's and Deborah Watling's favorite episode in Fury from the Deep. Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah.